Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Welcome, welcome to the Sustainability Learning Center. Uh, my name is Anna Glam, I work for JLL. JLL is really excited to host this uh, Sustainability Learning Center as we're uh, extra focused and double down, doubling down on responsible and sustainable solutions for our clients. Um, one of the ways we're doing that, if you haven't stopped by our booth, which is just over here on the corner, is we're partnering with Boxed Water to serve up water with a purpose. So if you grab a reusable carton, um, you can fill it up, use it through the conference, take a picture, take a selfie, post, uh, hashtag JLL, hashtag better planet, and JLL and Box Water will plant two trees in a U.S. national forest. So, working on our carbon offset. So, today though, we have Matt here. I'm going to hand it over to him who's going to talk about building resilience in our corporate world now and in the future. So, over to you. Thank Thanks. you. Appreciate it, Anna. Thank you. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Matt Faino, and uh, I used to be the head of corporate real estate for Coca-Cola Refreshments, a 600 property portfolio, 50 million square feet. I was also a former chair, and I had the pleasure to meet uh, some guys that are going to present some information for you today on resiliency in buildings, and it's a kind of a fast-paced thing. We've got three people here that have great knowledge, and so we're going to dive right into it. The first speaker, uh, his name is Albert Slap, and he is the president and co-founder of Risk Footprint, which is a hazard assessment and technology advisory firm out of uh, Boca Raton, Florida. And before that, Albert was a very, uh, very famous environmental attorney, he would tell you not, but he also is a law professor, and uh, he is a very uh, big environmentalist. In fact, he won the Defender of the Everglades Award, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Award. So, And uh, it, Albert's very modest, but you might have seen him. He's on the news a lot. He, he's consulted a lot on climate and change. He's built a really solid firm on that, and Albert's going to talk to us about some of that. Today, we also have with us Joe Novotny, and Joe is AIE's uh, Vice President of Agency Building Assessment. He leads a team that provides uh, condition assessment reports for the likes of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, just a small group like that. And then uh, he also um, does property resilience assessment services, and he's a member of their team that's helping develop what those, and he's going to talk to a lot about the changing world of what those assessments look like now. And certainly, last but not least, we have uh, Alan Scott, who is a registered architect and sustainability practitioner, 35 years of experience. He, you know, high-performance, sustainable, resilient workplaces, the kind that you really want to be around. And uh, Alan is the vice chair of the U.S. Green Building Council Resilience Working Group. He's a member of AIA Resilience and Adaptation Advisory Group, the Green Building Lead Environmental Quality Technology Advisory Services. So a very, very well-schooled individual in that. And before I turn it over, though, I just want to take a second to um, mention that uh, today we're going to focus on the E in ESG, and specifically we're going to focus on the impact that the planet is having on your properties, not on, we all know ESG, and there's a lot of reporting on what we're doing to the planet, but this is what the planet's doing to you. I don't think there's any question about the increasing impact of natural and climate-related disasters. I was just talking with Alan about it before. Through nine months, they reached the record $24 billion disasters, natural disasters and there's still three months left here, and that broke the 2020 record. So as real estate professionals, we just have to understand that our old views of resiliency, 
just don't work. This isn't our parents climbing anymore. It, it, it just isn't. And we need a better way to identify what locations we have that are at risk. And fortunately, there's new technology available now to help us do that. There's better understanding of what the magnitude of, and this is wide ranging. This isn't about the coast and about rising tides. This is about community resiliency. It's about wildfires. It's about earthquake. It's seismic tsunami. There's 30 different risks that you can look at across. And so we're going to look at that. And um, what we really need is a way to develop return-based solutions that will allow us to get our facilities more resilient and um, mitigate those risks. And the last thing I'd like to say before I turn it to Albert, I mean, as real estate professionals, we have to acknowledge this risk and we have to start doing something about it. And, you know, I worked at Coke for a long time and I will tell you that this was not on my radar screen at Coke and it should be. And I hope that with these guys' assistance here, we can put it on you guys' radar screen and, uh, and get some action on this. So, Albert, turn it over to you. Thanks, Matt, and uh, welcome, everybody. Um, the, the gentleman who was speaking at the plenary session this morning put up one slide that really impacted me. He said, I think it said, change occurs at the rate of acceptance. And really, what I'm going to tell you today is that the rate of acceptance or the acceptance of the commercial real estate industry of resilience and what Matt was saying of what the planet is doing to your assets as opposed to the, your greenhouse gas emissions. You know, that's something we all care about. But the acceptance and the recognition of we have to get a better handle on we're not living in our parents' climate anymore. Uh, what it's ha what's doing to the assets? Uh, people come and they, they talk to you and they say, this is profound, this is transformational, this is um, disruptive. Now, some of you work for multinational companies that have already been subject to the European TCFD uh, disclosure and reporting requirements. So, but most of you are familiar with the greenhouse gas emissions part of that. But TCFD also includes looking at climate-related financial risks to assets and what you are doing to mitigate that. Here in the United States, this was all aspirational. It was voluntary. Some, some of my clients and some others were, were doing that, diving into the portfolios, trying to find what I call the problem children. And I, I have my own problem child. So when I say problem children, we all know what I'm talking about. So in a portfolio of 100 properties or 1,000 properties, maybe you have 5% or 10% that are the problem children. But it was voluntary. But something happened other than Hamas in, invading Israel on October 7th. What happened on October 7th? Governor Newsom signed two bills, Senate Bill 253, which has to do with emissions, and Senate Bill 261, which has to do with climate-related uh, climate financial risks to your assets and what you're doing about it. The clock is now ticking. 
Yes, there may be lawsuits. Yes, there'll be regulations. But in 24 months, all U.S. businesses that have annual sales above 500 million a year and do business in California. Raise hands. Do you do business in California? How many do, do business in California? Okay. You, this will not disturb me. Take out your iPhone, go to your browser, and put in California SB 261. Every major law firm in the United States is blogging the heck out of that because they want your business. What I want and what you're going to hear from Joe and, and from Alan is to create an end-to-end -end process to go from hazard exposure and climate exposure through the process to, to, to quantify that risk at each asset, figure out what's feasible, what has an ROI, figure out a five-year CapEx, OpEx plan, and roll that up so that people who are reporting can really know what they're talking about, not just some wild-ass guess. So what we want is end-to-end -end because sustainability. What is sustainability? Resilience is the ultimate sustainability. It means that your systems in your building are working as you expect and you maintain market value. If your buildings are resilient, you will retain market value more than if they're not. So I'm going to stop there and just, you know, I'm throwing out there a gem, which is if, you're, if you don't know about California Senate Bill 261 and how it's going to affect your company, if you're over 500 million in sales and you do business in California, you need to, you need to jump on that because two years is not a lot of time. Now I'm going to turn it over to Joe Novotny, who's going to tell you about ASTM's property resilience assessment guide and standard. How many people have ever heard of ASTM? Okay. And you know that, have you ever heard of an ESA, Environmental Site Assessment? Okay, yes. Have you ever heard of a property condition assessment? Yes. The standards for those and probably everything else we do in America is set by the ASTM. And Joe's going to talk about that. And then Alan is going to get up and he's going to talk to you about, you all know LEED and U.S. Green Building Council and the LEED standard. It doesn't have resilience in it, but it's coming. So the winds of change, the winds of climate change due diligence, which is my slide, that it's it's here, it's here now. And, and everybody's going to have to pay attention to it because California just leapfrogged the SEC and put all this into a, a, a place on October 7th. So I'm going to stop there and turn it over to Joe. Thanks, Albert. Appreciate it. So, um, just so you know how important I think this is, I gave my Broncos tickets to a Swifty so that I could be here and talk with you today. Um, given the weather and the Broncos record, I think that that was a really good decision. But um, speaking of disasters, <laughs> uh, as commercial real estate interests have, you know, come to deal with more and more natural disasters and natural hazards, 
there has been this move to standardize a response as part of the commercial due diligence process. As Albert mentioned, the need for standardization with PCAs, property condition assessments, and phase ones, and now this idea that property resilience assessments should be standardized and a standardized part of the commercial pro real estate due diligence process. So AEI CEO, Holly Neaver, has been chairing the ASTM committee working on developing a property resilience assessment standard. The standard is a three-stage standard, and the first stage is hazard assessment, where companies like Risk, Footprint, risk Footprint um, evaluate the hazards that a property is that vulnerable to. So floods, wildfires, seismic hazards. And then stage two is a stage where companies like AEI or Intertech will send architects and engineers out to the property to evaluate specific vulnerabilities or mitigants that the property might have. For example, if a property comes up in a risk footprint report as a high flood area, we would send an engineer out there and then if the property is built on a concrete podium, and maybe that mitigates the risk of flood a little bit, whereas if the grade is, you know, designed so that it's, you know, sloping back to the building, that might exacerbate those risks. And we would note that in the, in the property resilience assessment. Stage three is the point where the property resilience team is gonna consider resiliency measures. What can we do to mitigate the hazards that we observed on the site and that were noted in the uh, risk footprint reports? Those measures may be designing flood barriers or in the case of a wildfire, it might be um, installing a you know, non-flammable uh, non, uh, non roof system instead of a wood shake roof system you know not that anybody should still have one of those but um, so this assessment is a method of standardizing it so that when you go to buy a building or refinance a building you know everyone is going to be able to get that same amount of information the ASTM PRA uh, standard is being validated in November, so we're hopeful that as this standard is adopted, it will um, become standard process in the commercial real estate industry. We know that there's a lot of interest already in, in the commercial real estate industry in adopting um, commercial uh, or adopting resiliency standards. For example, HUD recently just announced their green resilience and retrofit program, which makes billions of dollars available in low interest loans and grants to improve the resilience and energy efficiency of properties. And we know that Fannie, starting in December, Fannie Mae is going to be collecting property resilience data as part of the PCA and seismic risk assessment process. So there is this movement towards standardizing these things. Um, we think that it's only gonna make a lot of sense. It's gonna help make our buildings more resilient, help increase the, um, the profitability of companies as they move away from having high-risk buildings that put their people and their profits at risk. With that, I'm gonna introduce Alan, and he's gonna come up.
Thank you, thank you, Joe, and uh, excited to see all of you here today. Uh, so, um, as a consulting architect, I'm focused on um, helping find uh, um, clients find creative solutions to increasing sustainability, healthy building, and resilience in their properties. And I represent a team of building science and building enclosure experts who focus on that end of the thing that Albert and Joe just talked about in terms of understanding risks and then responding to them with uh, focused solutions. The key thing I want to talk to you today about is some other trends that are building on the things that Albert and Joe just shared with you that are affect resilience in the built environment. One of those, um, um, Matt had mentioned my service on the USGBC's uh, Resilience Advisory um, uh, Working Group, uh, and we are integrating resilience into the new version of LEED, LEED version five. Uh, the USGBC just released version five for operation maintenance last month the, in the pilot phase, and it includes a prerequisite to conduct a property resilience assessment as part of a certification process, and, and then builds on that further and encourages the development of an emergency response plan uh, so that uh, the building owners and operators and the tenants understand that when a hazard event happens, what do we need to do to respond to that and be prepared. Building on that, uh, with the uh, lead for building um, design and construction version five that will be expected to be released next year, that will also include a prerequisite that um, for a property resilience assessment in advance of design to inform the owner and design team on what are their risks and vulnerabilities and how can they design in solutions into a, a new building or renovation that makes the building more resilient and safer for the occupants. Um, and then sprinkled through throughout the rating system, there'll be opportunities to then respond. The, the resilience assessment is kind of the bad news about identifying what could happen, and then there's the opportunity then to t turn that into good news in, in everything from energy systems to, um, uh, to materials, durable materials, to um, indoor environmental quality considerations, weaving in resilience responses into the other lead credits that m one might address in those aspects. So that's some th exciting things that you'll see coming. Um, uh, I also serve on the uh, AIA's um Resilience and Adaptation Advisory Group, and our role is to um, educate architects about their roles and responsibilities relative to resilience and provide tools to help them. One of the key things that I think is important for both architects and people who work with architects to understand is that it is part of the architect's uh, new um, uh, um, responsibilities to inform their clients about uh, resilience and climate and natural hazard risks. And so it's not enough to just say, I built it to code, because codes are not keeping up with this rapidly changing climate as, as Albert has shared with you. And so an architect, whether the owner acts on it or not, is obligated to inform their clients of what are the risks associated with properties in this location and what might you do to address them to mitigate those risks. And so uh, architects have a new responsibility and when we should expect that. Uh, so I, I, uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll stop there and uh, make sure that, turn it back to Matt to, uh, so you, if you have questions for any of us. Yes, we have to have time for a quick question or two. Does anybody have a question? If not, Albert, I would just wrap it up by saying that uh, I think this is really important and I would encourage the corporate people out there to take this back to their management groups and 
and really take to heart what you guys have said here. Yeah, thanks, Matt, and thank you all for uh, your attention. If, there's a, some materials on the risk footprint over there on that table. If you're particularly interested or you want to see an example of uh, what a large office building risk footprint looks like, you can grab one off the table or just come up to me and, and I'll, I'll get one to you. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Appreciate it. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit CornetGlobal.org to learn more.